Thanks for checking out this Church in the City podcast. In our 10-part series entitled, Because Jesus is Lord, we're exploring the practical ways in which the Lordship of Jesus impacts our everyday lives. We hope you enjoy, and you can check out more at churchinthecity.us. I'm excited about today. Um, you know, all, all of 2015 so far, we've been studying together in our Sunday morning celebrations uh, a couple of series around a larger idea, and that is uh, fulfilling the Great Commission by obeying the greatest commandment. Fulfilling the greatest commission, the Great Commission by obeying the greatest commandment. Uh, we started off the year uh, going through the Gospel of John together in our series called The Way to the Father. And, and, and in that series, we took a look at the ways in which Jesus, having come to earth as fully man, revealed God the Father in heaven. And that culminated with Jesus' death and resurrection uh, on the cross, uh, resurrected three days later, and the, the fullness, the completeness, the, the finishedness of Jesus' lordship uh, being made clear. And that transitioned us into the series that we've been in uh, for the last couple of months, this series of Because Jesus is Lord. So we, we know he is Lord, but because he's Lord, what does it look like to live daily for the king? That practical aspect of just what does that look like in our lives? And next week, we're going to be starting a series called Loving As We Have Been Loved. Loving As We've Been Loved. Where we're going to take a look at, you know, If Jesus is Lord, we're practically looking at what that looks like in our lives. And he's called us as people who have received the radical love of God to be givers of the radical love of God to everyone. Self, friends, family, neighbor, enemies as well. So next week starts loving as we have been loved. But today we're going to conclude our series on Because Jesus is Lord. The practical realities of living daily for the king. And we, during this series, we've, we've hopefully taken a look at what it means to demystify living in the kingdom of God. Walking in the fruit of the fact that Jesus is Lord. Taking that, taking that out of the realm of, of inaccessible theology and putting it into the realm of uh, my day-to-day living. We, we go beyond he's just my savior, which is where my faith is placed, and he is fully, to he is Lord, which means I'm in harmony with his purposes because I'm walking in obedience to him. Because a Lord is not just a nice title. A Lord is someone who is obeyed. The Lord, a Lord has the prerogative of obedience. So what does that look like practically? What's the impact of Jesus' lordship in my life when the rubber meets the road from the time I wake up to the time I go to bed? What is the fruit that is the tangible result that comes out of my life? And again, practically, not overly theological overly theologically. And it reminds me of something, and I think it probably reminds you of the same thing, if we're all being honest here. It reminds me of Downton Abbey. Come on, you're you're there with, you already know, I don't even have to say the, I don't even have to say the illustration. I know you're with me. Who watches Downton Abbey? Okay, so like 20 of you and the rest of you are not telling the truth. (laughs) It's public television, you don't even have to have cable. So Downton Abbey, if you're not familiar, uh, First of all, everything can be explained through BBC British period drama. Just go ahead and make peace with that fact. Uh, but Downton Abbey is a show uh, on BBC. It takes place in the early part of the 20th century, and it's about this aristocratic estate 
in Great Britain uh, called Downton Abbey. And the, the, the makeup of the story is that there really are two levels of things going on. The first level is what's called, what's best known as upstairs. This is in the house. This is the aristocratic family, the lords and ladies of British society. They live in this home. They have, for, their family has for generations. And and everything there is kind of like, oh, hello, welcome to Downton Abbey. Well, pleasure to have you. It's wonderful. Upstairs. And then downstairs is the servants' quarters. And these are the, this is a whole other realm downstairs of this story. And downstairs is like, well, hello, hello, governor. Welcome to Downton Abbey. It's great to have you. But it's these two stories. It's these, it's these two realms. And the stories in each are compelling. But I'll tell you when Downton Abbey really gets awesome is when the two stories come together and they have to reckon with one another. Upstairs, intermingling with downstairs, the stories intertwining. And there's something about that that makes it, for me, just unmissable. I can't miss it. And there's something about living because, living daily for the king because Jesus is Lord that brings heaven and earth together in a practical, intertwined way that makes it unmissable. And that's what this series has been for me. It's been really exciting to see these different aspects, these different tangible fruits be explored every Sunday as a family. I hope it's been that way for you. And fruit, again, is that tangible result in our life. And what, what are the, some of the things that we've explored together as a family? Fruit like what, if Jesus is Lord? Well, fruit, first of all, like love. Hugh kicked us off with, with teaching that the fruit, of our, uh, fruit in our lives because Jesus is Lord is love. The greatest love has been shown to us. The greatest love. And therefore, the greatest commandment of Jesus is to love. Jesus very clearly laid that out, and Hugh preached on it to open the series. Fruit, fruit like what? Fruit like faith. A revelation of the finished, completed, conquering work of Jesus raises belief and action, which is faith, in me. And it, it allows me to act on the promises that Jesus has given. Faith, we often say, is the currency of the kingdom of God. It's the currency of the kingdom of God, and it's part of the practical fruit that comes in our life. Because Jesus is Lord. Fruit like grace. I mean, can there be a people more apt to show grace than the people of God who have been shown the most radical grace? I mean, that's a natural flowing. We, we've received grace. We give grace. We give grace. Fruit like accountability. We're called to submit to Jesus. We're called to submit to our leaders. And we're called to submit to one another. We're called to submit to one another, to be accountable. There is no going rogue. There is no declaration of independence in the kingdom of God. There's no, there's no individual reaching, clawing our way. We're accountable to one another. Fruit, because Jesus is Lord, fruit like obedience. Obedience to Jesus is the natural outworking of our love for him. I mean, if you're a parent, you understand this right away. When you, Obedience is the natural outworking of love. If we declare, I love Jesus, but none of my life looks like I obey him, then I lied in my original declaration. I lied. I just, it's not true. Fruit like what? Fruit like being faithful. And that is stewarding what we have well, understanding the purposes of God. Stewarding what we have well in any measure, lots or little, in every season, lean, fat, tight, 
every season, in every way, stewarding what we have well, and submitting it all, all to God's purposes. And then what does God say? You will be entrusted with more so that you can then bank it and live off the fa- No, so that you can be faithful with that again. Because God is looking for a people who, are, who he can faithfully entrust with all that he has to advance his kingdom. And that's a practical, tangible result of the lordship of Jesus in our life. Fruit like honor. Seeing each other the way that God has actually made us. And may I add, believing it. <laughs> believing that God has made each of us in, in his own image and according to his purposes, fearfully and wonderfully, and honoring that in one another. You know, when I honor you, I'm actually honoring God because God made you intentionally and on purpose. And while that may blow my mind sometimes because I just can't figure you out, I do understand that God intentionally made you. You probably feel the same way about me. No. Fruit like what? Fruit like last week Steve uh, shared with us. Fruit like giving thanks at all times, in every circumstance, in every way, for everything. As paradoxical as it may sound, the act of giving thanks is actually incredibly honoring to God. And it's always something we have to give. No matter, no matter circumstance, we always have our thanks and we can always give it to God. Thankfulness honors God. So I don't know about you, but sometimes throughout this series, by sometimes I mean every week, um, I've been very convicted. And I've been, I've been incredibly stirred, but I've always been very encouraged. It's just been an amazing series. Hopefully you feel the same way. And I, my task today is to bring it to a close and to sort of summarize it and land it. And I really think there's only one way to do that, and that's to go back to the year 1988. <laughs> Some of you weren't around. But uh, in 1988, I was seven years old, and we had a little tradition at our house. Um, On Tuesday nights, I think it was, at 7 o'clock Eastern, MacGyver came on. (laughs) Telling you, you can make a helicopter out of this Bible and this computer right now. Uh, But so I'm watching MacGyver, and I'm seven years old, and this commercial comes on. And in this, it was unlike any commercial I had ever seen in my life. And in this commercial, there's these people playing basketball and football and baseball and running track and playing soccer and swimming and rock climbing and boxing. And it's, it's all these people. It's amazing. And I'm just like glued to the screen. And then this name of this company comes up and it's Nike. And then the, one of the most famous slogans ever for the first time ever in history came on the screen. And that slogan was, just do it. It's kind of where we are with because Jesus is Lord. (laughs) We've explored the tangible results of that in our life. And now the question is, where we are, I think, is just do it. Kind of. We're going to explore that a little bit. So let's look at this question of how do you do. I feel supremely unqualified to preach on it, but alas, you got me. (laughs) I think there's some simple things to consider about how do we just do it. And it's not going to take a lot of talking on my part, lucky you. Um, But simple, simple often means the most important. Really does. Simple is often code for don't miss it. (laughs) It's essential. Uh, So we need to settle these things. So hopefully none of this is earth shattering. Um, I tried my best to make it complicated and earth shattering. But we're just going to take a look at how do you do? How do you do? First off, and I know this has kind of come through already throughout the series, but we need to settle who is Lord. I know you've heard it a million times, and you're probably sitting there like, if I come to church in the city one more time and hear that Jesus is Lord, I'm going to put my face through a window. I know he's Lord. 
But we need to settle this. We need to settle who is Lord in our own heart because practicality and practical outworking and fruit doesn't happen unless things are settled in our heart. So when we settle who is Lord, two, two things happen. One, we settle who's Lord. But two, it enables us to settle who we are in light of who is Lord. Settling who is Lord, Jesus, and then who we are because that certain Lord is Lord. Turn in your Bibles with me, if you, if you can, to Matthew 16. It's going to be on the screen behind me, too. And let's read, let's, let's read what Jesus says to, to his disciples in this moment. He's, he's just had his disciples. They were, with, they were with a bunch of crowds. They've finally gotten away from the crowds. He's been talking to them about some of the, the, the false teaching of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And he finally gets a moment alone with his disciples where it's just him and them. And this is what happens. This is Matthew 16. Let's pick it up in verse 13. It says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they replied, mm, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And on this, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed on heaven. And can you see Peter going, I just, I just thought you were the Messiah. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> Thanks. Awesome. But there's something essential about the moment Peter settled who Jesus was. The moment he settled that Jesus is Lord, Jesus could bring Peter into the fullness of who Peter is. And everything about who Peter was, was dependent and unshakably tied to who Jesus is, Lord. The settled lordship of Jesus immediately brought Peter in just like a couple of verses. Blessing, revelation, name and identity, power, partnership, and promises. Those last three all start with P. You're welcome. That's just in two verses of going, you, you are the Messiah, the Christ of God. Well, guess what, bud? That's settled. You know who you are? That's settled also. It's intensely, intensely personal. Jesus has finally gotten away, and he asks his disciples, what are the people saying? Oh, this is who they think you are. What about you? What about you? Not everyone else, but you. Who do you say that I am? And then look at who Peter is as a result of settling the lordship of Jesus. Everything about our identity and our purpose is tied to the person of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus calls his disciples to be followers. It's not so much just do it. Nike can have that. But we'll take just follow. Just follow. You know, Christian preached um, earlier in the series about faith and trust. And one of the things that has really stuck with me was the fact that when Jesus called his disciples in that moment where they placed their trust in him, he didn't call them to come be doers. He didn't say, come and do for me. If that's, if that's his plan, not only did he have really the wrong guys then, he's got the wrong us now. <laughs> if the work of Jesus depends on us doing. He said... Come and follow. 
Jesus has called his disciples to follow, and I will make you fishers of men. See, following someone, following someone is all about who I am being based in who they are. Who I am being based in who they are. And if I've settled who's Lord, and that's who I will follow, it says everything about who I am. And that's the first part about how we do. How we do. We settle who is Lord, and then we're settled. We also remember that uh, bearing fruit is about freedom, not about performance. I know I'm talking about heart things right now when we've said more of a practical approach, but I'm not, I'm not so much interested in a checklist. I'm talking about the things that start here. Because the checklists, I hate that term, but the checklist, the outworking, will look different in each of your lives because you have practically different lives. But the heart issue will remain the same. Bearing fruit is about freedom, not about performance. Th- this, this stuff here at the bottom, I-, I don't know if you feel this way sometimes, but it's a little overwhelming, and if we're not careful, we can come out of a series like this about looking, what it, looking at what it's like to live like Jesus is Lord, and we can put a lot of pressure on ourselves to accomplish that. We can put pressure on ourselves to exhibit these characteristics. It's a whole series of things that, that we should just exhibit. And it's pressure, and it's religion, and it's legalism, and if you're like me, it's failure. It's failure. I want to, you know, there's, there's a part of the heart of God that is chiefly concerned with us getting the approach to this correct. And I'll show it to you in Galatians 5. We don't have to turn there, but in Galatians 5, Paul is talking to the Galatian church about the difference between exhibiting the sinful fruit of the flesh and the fruit of walking in the Spirit. And what Paul doesn't say there is strive after that fruit of the Spirit because then you'll avoid all the sinful stuff. He says, just walk by the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. And naturally, you won't even go near that stuff. Not stay away from the sin so you're walking in the Spirit. Just walk in the Spirit and you won't even go near it. It is an issue. It is a subtle, subtle key issue of approach in our hearts because it's going to define our mindset. It is not display all these characteristics so that the lordship of Jesus is verified and validated in my life. Aren't I awesome? Rather, turn, commit to following Jesus, also known as settling who is Lord, and by his spirit, these fruits will be displayed in our lives. It's subtle, but it's so important You see, one approach relies on our strength to be the doer, the accomplisher, and that's pressure and performance. And we know how that ends. We know how it ends. We know that cycle. The other relies on the one who we are following to fill us with his spirit and empower us and to make us a new creation. And then the fruit of Jesus' lordship naturally flows in our lives. You turn your head and all of a sudden I'm displaying love. How? Wow. Just because I'm following Jesus. And that is freedom. And that is an identity that's completely separated from what I can do and is completely rooted in who I'm following. Because bearing fruit is about freedom, not about performance. We settle who is Lord and we settle on his way of bearing fruit. And that's how we do. And as we've settled who is Lord and, we, and that settles who we are and we know that the fruit of Jesus' lordship is born of freedom, not performance, in order to 
to really walk in that, we need to practically stick close to and abide with the Lord. We need to stick close to and abide with the Lord. Let's going back, going back to our series at the beginning of the year through the Gospel of John, as Jesus was revealing God the Father. We saw that Jesus in John 10 reveals the Father by illustrating that he is the good shepherd. The good shepherd who knows his sheep, leads them, calls them by name. His sheep know him, and they know his voice. And there's an intimate closeness illustrated in this. And that intimate closeness, if I could translate it into practical English, is stick close to my hip. Stick close to the shepherd. Stick close to the Lord. Then Jesus being the good shepherd and calling his sheep and knowing them by name, that's an intimate thing. That's not a distance thing. And Jesus elaborates on how essential this closeness is. Turn with me to John chapter 15. Now we're going to pick it up in verse 4. And Jesus says to his disciples, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. You know, sometimes Jesus says things that take you a minute and you're like, not sure, know what that means. Give me a second. And like seven commentaries. Sometimes he says things that are just plain as day. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, verse 5. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit And apart from me, apart from me, you can do nothing. It couldn't be clearer. Who we are, what we do, is all tied to who we follow. And we follow by abiding and sticking close and remaining with and in the Lord. So how do we do that? Well, I mean, I'll just offer a few things. You probably, things are popping up in your head about how you do that. And I say, don't shut them down. Write them down. And think on them. But a couple of things for me. I need to invest time. Invest time in knowing Jesus. This is a relationship. I have to invest time in knowing my wife. We'll we'll have been married eight years this summer. And I still must always invest time in knowing my wife if I want to know her. And I need to immerse myself in the word of God. I need to immerse myself in the word of God. You know why? Because this is what we know God has said. We very rightly talk a lot about listening to God and discerning his voice and hearing him and acting on that. But this is what we know God has said. You can take it to the bank. So immersing myself in his word. I need to risk listening to God's voice. And I need to risk acting on it. When I believe I've heard God, I need to risk acting on that. You know why? Because God is not up looking to zing us. He's not going, hey, David and Amy, they think they've heard me on this one thing, and they really haven't, and I just cannot wait to zap them when they make the wrong call. It's so awesome. Just watch this. It's not the heart of God. It's not the heart of God. A heart that is listening after God, God is going to meet that heart. God is going to meet that heart. So risk acting on what you hear from God and obey in accordance with what we know he said. That's how we stick close. We need to be matured by others who stick close to the Lord, by others who are sticking next to his hip. I don't know why I keep doing that motion, but it just feels like what I should do. 
I'll do this side next time. No. But we need to be matured by others who are sticking close to the Lord. And that speaks to what Steve preached on, being accountable, being submitted to one another. No one's going rogue. We need to be intentional about these things. Honestly, we all know what it's like to hear a sermon. And I both preach them and hear them. And I often walk out those doors and what was said is just kind of like, man, that was great. And I hope the recording is available soon. But it just leaves me. We need to be intentional about these things. Because it's not what we revert to. It's not our status quo. You know, the lie of the enemy is um, relating to God is complicated. Relating to God is so arduous. You just have to work so hard. It's so arduous. And God is so hard to be found. And he's peeking around corners and hiding from you. That's the lie of the enemy. When God says, you seek me with all your heart, I'm going to find you so fast. You remain in me, and oh man, you will bear so much fruit. That's a shepherd who knows your name. And we need to stick close. Practically, make the decisions daily to stick close to that shepherd. Jesus' promise is that the natural result of doing that, the natural, easy, it happens result of doing that, is we're going to bear the fruit of his lordship. That's freedom, not pressure. And that's how we do Jesus' promises, speaking of them. Lastly, I think in order, we we, we ask this question of how do we do? uh, We need to remember the promises of Jesus. You guys okay? I know I get a little intense. Everybody happy? Really good? Okay. We need to remember the promises of Jesus. And I don't want to, I don't think it's, it's, profitable for our time right now to start listing all these promises of Jesus, but I do think they break down into two essential flavors that I want to highlight. And the first is not so fun. So while you were doing okay like 10 seconds ago, you might not be now. But Jesus' first promise to his disciples is the, promise of, is the promise of cost. We need to settle who is Lord, settle who we are, stick close to him, and then we need to understand that Jesus says we must do that Because his name and his gospel are actually the agents of the greatest salvation, but they're also the agents of the greatest offense to the powers of this world and the sinfulness of the human heart. The gospel of Jesus is the greatest offense to the human heart. And we, happy us, are commissioned to take that, the most repugnant thing possible, to the human heart. And you know why it's repugnant to our hearts? Jesus' lordship. Because it means bowing down to the lordship of another and obeying him. Bowing down to the lordship of another. Laying down my life and identity and worth and choice and dreams and everything to another and saying, it's yours, say the word. You have the prerogative of obedience. And that is offensive to the world. It was offensive to you and me at one point. And it's the height of foolishness, actually. So it's, it's the losing of every argument. It's the losing of every argument to the world. Uh, from the moment of the fall in, in, the Garden of Adam, in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve made a decision to turn away from God, and you and I have been born into that, the world has been about the exalting of self, the exalting of our own lordship. There are sinful desires, desires that turn away from God. And you and I, Romans 1 and 2, tell us, are right in the thick of that before we know Jesus. We are listed with the God-haters. The God-haters. 
And in this arena, we're commissioned to declare that salvation, righteousness, holiness is found in one name alone, and that's the Lordship of Jesus. And all the world is going to hate us. And if you don't believe me, let's go to Mark chapter 13. I'm, not, I'm sure you believe me, I'm just saying. Let's go to Mark 13, let's pick it up in verse 9. Jesus speaking to his, to his followers, he says, You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. And on account of me, you will be handed over to the... On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. And whenever you are arrested, verse 11, and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say what is given you at that time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Listen to what Jesus describes. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Everyone will hate you because of me. It's great to be talking to you today. (laughs) Everyone will hate you because of me, Jesus says. Take up your cross if you want to follow me, he says in Matthew 16. Blessed are those when, who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, he says in Matthew 6. And, and also in Matthew 6, blessed are you when people falsely accuse you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you for my sake. Jesus says these things because they're going to happen. And he says these things because you have chosen a Lord. You've settled it. And it is not compatible with the powers, principalities, and authorities of this world. Settle that. You know, there's, um, there's an insidious little idea that's taken root in the back of the church's mind recently. And that this, it's subtle, but this idea is this. That at the end of the day, as we do our Jesusness, and we're about the great things that we're about, the good things, the right things, the wonderful things, at the end of the day the world is really going to end up thinking that we're pretty great. The world is really going to like us. They're going to be like Sally Fields accepting an Oscar. You love me. You really love me. Like, we're really going to be okay with the world. Stop. It's not what Jesus says. There is one dividing line. I'm not mad, sorry. There is one dividing line for eternity. There is one division Great, awesome, terrible division for all of eternity. And that is one thing. Is Jesus Lord? And on that, we will split with all. Not try to, we will. And if what we're after, ultimately, is the idea of being liked, the idea of being okay with, then we will do our finances, our family, our marriages, our parenting, our school, our business, our work, our justice, our goodness, our everything, with the idea of being liked. Instead of the idea of Jesus being Lord. And we must settle it. We must, because it's going to be different, and they will end up hating us. And wouldn't it be terrible if that's all there was? (laughs) Wouldn't it be terrible? You know, in Romans 9, I want to be conscious of time, but in Romans 9, Paul speaks to the Roman church about the two aspects of the offense of Jesus. 
And let's, let's, let's pick it up in, in, in verse 33 of Romans 9. But he uses this term, and this term is called, it's a Greek term, it's called scandalon. Scandalon was a, was a term for a stone in the middle of the road that causes everyone who passes it by to stumble. It causes walkers to stumble. Oxen and carts would just crumble over this stone. It was a stumbling stone. And, and Paul writes in, in Romans 9 verse 33, See, I lay in Zion. He's quoting Isaiah. See, I lay in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. The stumbling stone of offense and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. Jesus is scandalon, stumbling stone of offense and cornerstone. On this rock, I'll build my church and advance my kingdom. He's the dividing line and we've settled who's Lord. Which is great because the second flavor of the promise of Jesus is not only cost, but it's victory. It's the promise of victory. It runs parallel and I know almost paradoxical to the promise of cost. And yes, there is cost. But Jesus' promises are also Acts 1-8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses to the very ends of the earth. And let your light shine before others and they will see your good works and what? Glorify your Father in heaven. They're going to hate you, and some are going to glorify your Father in heaven. It's the cost of the gospel and the promise of victory. Go into all the world and make disciples. And lo, I'm with you. I'm with you. And whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It all culminates, to me, it all culminates in this picture in Revelation chapter 7. Don't turn there if you don't, if you don't have time. Let's pick it up in verse 9. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice the most offensive thing ever. Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And that is is our Lord. This picture is the promise of, for those who profess Jesus. With him in his victory, yes, then, and now. That's the Lord we serve. We've settled that. We know who we are because that's settled as well. We know that bearing fruit for that Lord is about freedom, not about performance. So we stick close, this side. We stick close to the shepherd, to the Lord, and we fall back on his promises. And that, as they say, is how we do. It's how we do. Vanessa, I want to invite you to, to come back up for a moment. We're going to take communion together as a family. And I want us to do it with the flavor that we're in right now. Because I know if you're like me, sometimes take the act of taking communion and celebrating the body and blood of Jesus can get kind of blasé. Can get kind of rote and rehearsed. But as we do, I want us to resist. I want to just challenge you. Resist checking out. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are absolutely invited to come and partake of the bread and the cup. But I want you to resist checking out. And let's instead, let's celebrate the sacrifice of Jesus for us. Maybe there's a little bit of settling that he's Lord that needs to happen. Let's do that together as we take the cup. Let, maybe there's a little bit of settling who we are as a result of, of who he is. Or maybe there's a little bit of settling that it's about freedom to bear fruit, not about performance. 
or a fresh revelation of sticking close to the shepherd or falling back on his promises. Let's celebrate our Lord together as we take communion with those things in our heart. So just in your own time, if you want to stand up, there's a couple of tables down here. Come down, take the bread, take the cup. Let's come back to your seat and we'll, uh, we'll partake of them together. to celebrate the completeness of the Lord the Lordship of Jesus as a family it's part of doing it together with other people who declare Jesus as Lord so I just want to pray for us and then let's let's just take the bread and the cup together and, and as we do settle afresh who is Lord and the practical ways that that comes up to be outworked in your life. I know it's different from person to person right now, but don't let those fall away. Lord, we just, what can we say but that you are Lord, Jesus. Salvation belongs to you. You are the great stumbling stone and cornerstone. And I pray, Lord, that even, as, even now as we celebrate the sacrifice and the resurrection that you gave on behalf of us, I pray that you would fresh, refresh your people and gird us anew to stick close to you, to be of you as we are in the world. That the fullness and the salvation of the name of Jesus would be made clear and shown brightly through this your church it's in your name we pray and it's in your name that we take now let's take the bread and the cup together Vanessa as she plays we're gonna we're gonna close the meeting but if you'd like to just sit for a little longer and just enjoy the presence of God or just uh, meditate on a few of the things that God may be revealing to your heart and maybe risk listening <laughs> maybe risk acting on those things and just make yourself comfortable and and be for for that time if not you can stop by the loop and get some more information about the church or have some of your questions answered there's refreshments outside just invite you to make yourself at home and uh, if 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 you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior you don't know what that means or, or that's some, not something that's ever happened in your life I would love to talk with you I'm going to stay right up front here and I would love to just invite you to come and talk to me but we're going to close the meeting thank you so much for coming join us next week join us Wednesday night for prayer uh, and next week we'll be right here at 10 o'clock love you guys bless you have a great Sunday Thanks. Thanks again for listening. You can always check out more podcasts at churchinthecity.us.